your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to Monday. It's Monday, but it's kind of it's one of them weeks where probably not going to get a lot done. Christmas vacation. You, uh, for those of you, I feel like uh, is everybody getting a Christmas vacation this year because it's on Saturday. So. Do we just get Christmas Eve off? I'm not even really sure. Uh, in the studio with me is Chris Mayen, the turbo biology professor, immunologist. And we're going to talk about COVID today. So if anyone has any COVID-19 related questions, booster questions, variant questions, Omicron questions, Omicron questions. Uh, what does Biden say? Omicron? I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, Delta variant. I mean, that's still a thing. Still there. Uh, transmission very high in the county. Vaccine questions. What other? Is there any other? That, they kind of kind of that's it. Flu. Do we do flu questions? <laughs> um, <laughs> People are thinking about tetanus that right shot. Now. Tetanus shot questions. Sure. Got me. We can talk tetanus. I feel like the next time I have to go to the doctor, they're going to be like, Rick, you haven't had a tetanus shot since 2003. We're probably going to give you one. Yeah, that's, you'd be due. Because the, the last time that happened, I broke my nose playing basketball, went to the ER. They gave me a $700 bill for uh, telling me to put ice on my nose and also a tetanus shot. Because they're uh-huh. like, you haven't had a tetanus shot in a while. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. Uh, 608-785-7914 is the... Talk a text line. So questions about any of that stuff or whatever else. If you want to stump Chris, feel free. Uh, J&J vaccine, probably a little bit at the end. Johnson & Johnson. Um, but before we do that, I saw this story. And um, pull it up here. A, the headline is, a professor had cash, hit a cash prize on campus. I think it was $50. Mm-hmm. So you're a professor. This would be, yeah. be a funny idea, maybe. Yeah, I, I saw this story, and I thought the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so the professor told this, told this class, that, hey, I've, I've hid. No, he put it in the syllabus. So the syllabus is this document right in a college class you get at the beginning that has all the rules of the class, has assignments, due dates, policy, all that kind of stuff. And the assumption is, is that every student in the class reads it, right? So yeah. he hid in there like one of the bullets was literally like, go to this room. This locker, here's the combination. There's $50 in there. You can just take it. For whoever wants it. <laughs> For whoever it. read the syllabus and saw it. So I thought, I thought uh, clearly I read this story in great detail. I thought maybe a good idea would be to, to, to tell your class, hey, I've hidden $50 sure. somewhere. I'm not giving you you, you you have all the information you need to find this $50. Sure. Go figure it out. Yeah. Uh, probably, student, you think students would figure it out? Like, I have all the information I need. You, you wouldn't be able to do this the day you handed out the syllabus because sure. that would be too yeah. obvious, but yeah. maybe a week later or something. G- given the rates of syllabus reading by students, I, I think they still probably wouldn't figure it out. <laughs> but I yeah, mean, that, yeah, spoiler alert, uh, no student claimed the, the 50 bucks. So yeah. does, I think he does this every semester, and he just goes then back and uh, well, this posts a picture of... Kind of ruins, it kind of ruins it. I, I'm curious to see if maybe next semester if he does the same thing that maybe one of these students will read the syllabus being that national media has picked the story up <laughs> also wisdom picked it up so yeah, uh, yeah definitely we're talking about it but you do you you know being a professor do, okay do you make your syllabus as interesting because I, it's nobody... almost it's almost impossible to make it very interesting right because essentially in the end it's a lot of policy due dates rules learning objectives things like that 
but it is funny to me when you see this sort of story because, you know, sometimes you'll hear people all concerned that, you know, uh, college professors are, you know, I don't know, brainwashing the youth or something. And it's like, man, if, if I could brainwash a youth, I would at least just like try to convince them to read the syllabus or, <laughs> you know, turn in their assignments on time. And uh, until either of those things happen, I don't think you got to worry too much about me uh, brainwashing well, anybody. Well, there's, there's some pretty basic information that the syllabus has. And also you hand that out day one, maybe day two, I don't know, probably day one. Or you email it before the kids even, I call them kids, but they're adults, uh, before the students even get to class. Uh, then maybe over the next couple of weeks, you'll get a question from a student that is, then you're just like, mm. <laughs> so what do you do? What do you do when you're like, oh, yeah. it's in the syllabus? Yeah, yeah. There you is, do something funny, right? Yeah, there is. There's always this uh, this discussion about how professors handle that, you know, like how many times do you have to tell someone it's in the syllabus or, you know, hey, remember how I told you to read the syllabus? It's in there, uh, the answer to your question. And so I, I actually have a, a cameo. So a, a cameo is when uh, is this company where this app where you can pay celebrities uh, to record messages. And I didn't do this, but some other professor across the country actually paid Snoop Dogg to record a little snippet. I don't know, it's probably 30 seconds maximum, talking uh, and telling the students in his typical voice to read the syllabus. So among the students who I know will appreciate the joke, I, I, I send them just the link to this cameo where it's like Snoop's in, hey, y'all, you got to read the syllabus, you know, you got to do it. <laughs> I mean, the most surprising part of that might be coming from you to go <laughs> listen to this. If people, I mean, if yeah, anyone who me. looks at yeah, Chris right sure. now. Uh, it was probably like, oh, Chris knows. Does Chris listen to Snoop Dogg? I don't know. Um, but I, have, I don't you know. You have underestimated me, friend. Well, I, no, I, I don't think so because, uh, you know, we're, well, I'm a little bit older than you are, but grew up right around that time where yeah. Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre and Tupac. Naughty by Nature and Tupac are like my favorite artists. Although I don't play a lot of them on here. Uh, I do play Buster Rhymes once in a while, which I think, well, I play every day, actually, until except for December, but. Um, you know, the only, I think the only person on WIZM who's playing gangster rap on, yeah. on this air, on any of this, all, all day. I don't think they're doing <laughs> it on Coast to Coast. I don't think Mike Hayes is doing it in the morning. Sean Hannity, I doubt. Uh, maybe, maybe he's doing some bumper music with Buster Rhymes. I'm not really sure. But um, all right, 608-785-7914 is the talking text. I wanted to get that out of the way because I thought that was funny and I want to get another pers- perspective from a professor. Do you know any other professors that do anything Maybe semi-interesting. Did you show the story to anyone or talk to, uh, you know, are you doing uh, water cooler talk about <laughs> yeah, I was gonna syllabus? Say the, the story with the 50 bucks uh, in the locker has definitely been shared by a few of us together and, and laughing at it about how that's just, it's not terribly surprising, but it's a funny encapsulation of, uh, of how it works. But what? again, I, I, I'm not going to read them. I don't blame them, honestly. Like, how, how often do you read, like, the manuals you get from things that you're supposed to read or your Well, I was just going to say, what would you rather have your students do? Read the syllabus? Or the textbook you give, because I feel like they're not doing either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, do. I, I, I have I have a significant percentage of my students who will actually do the assigned reading. So that's something. I've, I'm yeah. fortunate. I work with people who are going to be doctors for the most part, or who, people who are going to be nurses, and you know, are scientists. And so they they are pretty. Not all of them, of course, but a significant percentage of them are pretty pretty hardworking. Yeah, because I mean, I, I start reading a lot about uh, a lot about how we're educating people and the the idea of how we took tests in in high school and college, the A B C D. You know, A, B, C, and then D is like all the above, and E is like none of the above, and sure. and then you know, as you get more advanced, like F is B and C, and then you have no idea, and it just becomes impossible to try to figure out which answer is actually correct. And I'm just like, that's not the way to take a test because yeah. I'm just memorizing stuff. I liked the blue book version of tests where you'd write out the answer. At least then the professor, because I did this once in a history class, the professor knew 
I knew the answer to things. Mm-hmm. Although I answered the wrong question. I think one was uh, something about the Vietnam War, and I mistook it as a Korean War question, and I wrote out all the things about the Korean War. Yeah. And then I handed it in, and I got back. I, I, I started. I walked away from class five minutes later. I'm like, no, that was about... And I ran back to him, and I'm like, no, I, this question, I totally... And he, and he understood that, and he gave me like a C on the answer because I had all the Korean War facts right, but I just had the question. <laughs> He's like, clearly you know the answer, but you didn't, you know, answer the question right. Anyway, um, all right, we got to take one break. Brad's gonna do the news, then we're gonna we're gonna talk about COVID when we come back. It's always ironic playing. So I play the song just about every show, the most wonderful time of the year, and then now we're gonna talk about COVID and how it's destroying everything and. <laughs> yeah. It's still destroying everything, and it's going to get worse. I mean, that's that's what that's what a lot of the conversation with COVID has been with the Omicron Omicron variant. Oh, let me. I gotta fix this and that. All right, so there we go. Playing an ad while we're talking. Um, I guess can you just can you just break down the new variant? How, do, are we still pretty in the dark on this Omicron variant, or are we? Is it to the point now? Because you didn't want to talk about it right away. I know about a month ago, I was like, "Hey," and you're like, "No, we don't know anything about this at that point." At this point, there's no reason to talk about it. It's it's it can be in the news, but I think a lot of news sites want the clicks a little bit. But For now, sure. is it is it safe? Is it, clearly, it's a little bit safe to yeah, talk about what's no, going I, on. I think that we know a lot more now than we did before, right? Um, you know, at the time you first hit me up, you know. I was like, all I can say with certainty is that it has a bunch of mutations uh, in the area that we would not really want a lot of mutations to occur because we'd be worried that uh, you might lose some immunity to it if you'd been previously infected or if you'd been vaccinated. But people were speculating at that point. We didn't have a lot of evidence. And now it seems that that is true, right, that uh, the Omicron variant can evade immunity either whether it was acquired from a previous infection or uh, from a vaccination. But we've also learned that the third dose of the mRNA vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna, really do seem to boost that back up, uh, almost to the same level as what two doses did for Delta. It gets up to, you know, like between 75 and 85 percent were the most recent estimates I've seen in the last few days. I should say this, too. We're talking to Dr. Chris Main, (laughs) Viterbo professor, immunologist, biology professor over there. I, I get ahead of myself. I'm like, I just assume people are known. But, uh, yeah, who is this guy? Why is he talking about – why does he know anything about COVID? Um, and this is stuff that you're you – know, con- I, I would assume you're constantly reading or at least uh, every once in a while and maybe sometimes not reading about because it gets to be overkill. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, all of my career I've been uh, – it, it's an important part, I think, of being an immunologist, honestly. It's part of a professional responsibility that you're – help to educate about vaccines uh, because it's, you know, one of the things you know about and it's one of the, you know, if not the most impactful uh, medicines that have ever been created by humanity. And so I've educated on vaccines all of my career, but all of a sudden they become much more relevant here uh, within the last couple of years. And so it is definitely something I have as I save this huge reading list of things to, to read and catch up on. And I read something on it every day, but then also trying to keep up on my own other interests and teach and you know, grade, all those things. Well, what was interesting, too, is a couple, you know, before COVID, you were pulling up in your Prius to Viterbo. You just, you know, pulling up. I do a Prius. <laughs> but then COVID came, and then you got yourself a 1980s uh, Trans Am, 
Uh, you got yourself a nice jean jacket. Ah, you pulled up. I see. Uh, Billy yeah. Madison. I'm doing yeah, Billy the, the Madison. Grifter, the grifter. Uh, yeah, I used no, to be king of this high school. I think it is kind of important to, to, to note, and I do note this sometimes when I when I that you're a big man on campus now. Is that what you're about to say? That I have never worked for pharma, and I never will. So that is a uh, important thing to note. I'm just an academic uh, scientist, researcher, and uh, teacher. So yeah, you're not going to have to worry too much about. Uh, uh, big pharma money coming my way. Well, not soon. big pharma money, but you are big Viterbo money now because you're big man on campus. You become more, I, I would assume you become a little bit more popular on campus. Clearly, you're in here talking with me, you know, but that was because I just didn't know. I'm like, whoa, you do this? And that was That's interesting because we play basketball together, but then uh, all the other professors and everyone else at school probably throws that stuff at you, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, yep, I definitely get a lot of questions. Ironically, I've given more, like, done more stuff on panels and stuff for other universities than I have the Turbo, I think, just probably because, you know, those folks know me from my science more, and the Turbo knows me just more as, like, teaching the classes and stuff. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so you don't work for Big Pharma, but the, <laughs> there, there is a, and you, if you don't have an opinion here, let me know, but there is, there is some of this talk where we have the vaccine, we have the formula for the vaccine, we haven't. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know exactly how to put this. It, like when you get, uh, there's always talk about generics when you talk about medicine. Is there, is there, is that the the conversation? Is like these companies, whether it's Moderna or or what are, what is it? I just forgot yeah, all the Pfizer. Pfizer yeah. um, if they would release the patents or release the formula so that other companies can can come out with their own versions of the vaccine so that we can get this to everybody everywhere. Yeah, or is, it is it is really one of the disappointing aspects of all of this and uh you know not just disappointing but really having real world effects on the pandemic is vaccine inequity right we have you know entire countries almost entire continent of africa really pretty uh lacking in vaccine access people who would be willing to get this vaccine and we just don't give it to them. Like we're not gifting enough doses. You'll hear once in a while about the administration saying, you know, they gifted a million doses or something, you know, and that's just not that much. When you look at the overall population of these countries, the companies themselves, Pfizer and Moderna, I would love to think could do a lot of good to, by donating this. Uh, And also just like you said, making the actual formulas, the ability, giving those countries the ability to actually make these vaccines on site themselves. And, while that has been debated and they've made insinuations that they're willing to do such a thing, there really hasn't been a lot, from my understanding, and this is not as much something I keep up on uh, regularly, but everything I've he- heard is said that real, um, you know, tangible steps to doing that, to allowing other countries to make these vaccines and get them to our, their people, it has been uh, definitely lacking from these companies. In a decade, are we going to have like 10 versions of this vaccine? or? Because we we have two and we're almost phasing one out. Are we kind of phasing out the Johnson and Johnson because of this Omicron variant and its ineffectiveness? I just I think there are just better options. And so yeah. because uh, you know the main advantage of Johnson and Johnson originally was that it was a single dose, right? But now it seems that single dose isn't holding up against the new variant. And so because of that, I think it's just if you're going to get a, a vaccine, I would definitely recommend getting one of the mRNA ones uh, and three doses of it because the third dose really does bump that protection against infection back up. Now, it's important to note, if you've gotten two doses of mRNA vaccines, I think most immunologists, most virologists, most doctors out there expect you to be protected against severe disease pretty well. Like, you're probably not going to go to the hospital if you get Omicron, but you can still get infected pretty easily. And so, 
the booster, the third dose, is really good for helping you not get sick and pass it on to someone else. All right, I'm getting a text here from Bill. Uh, can you ask Chris about therapies and why we are not investigating therapies to keep ill people out of the hospitals? Good question. Yeah, so I think there's certainly investment in therapies. I think they just come along a little bit slower, partly because, honestly, the mRNA vaccine technology is very fast. That's its big advantage. It, you can make these vaccines very quickly. Uh, and is it so, more important, too? A little bit more we, we need to emphasize getting the vaccine oh, before we yeah, get the... certainly, per, right, like what is the saying, you know, an, a, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, something like that, right? And so uh, so certainly trying to, to stem the, the tide of it is, is extremely important. Now, there is uh, treatments coming through as well. There's a couple of new antivirals out there that you've probably, you know, heard in the news that will be available soon. And uh, also there are treatments certainly in the hospital when you go, uh, if you have these, uh, there's monoclonal antibodies there. So there are many different treatments. It's just, and, and more coming all the time, including a couple that people are excited about. Um, you mentioned Omicron. Is Omicron just more contagious? So that's a, actually a really good question that we're not positive of yet. So Delta is really transmissible. It seems that Omicron is quite transmissible as well. Difficult to know for sure yet whether it's more transmissible than Delta or if what we're seeing as more transmissibility is the fact that it's able to infect new people that Delta wasn't, like people who had already gotten COVID seem like they're susceptible. Because it's, it's ruining my fantasy game. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. only have so many slots on the injured reserve list, <laughs> and they're all taken. And if one of my, you know, my running back already hit the COVID list, but he played already on Thursday, so I'm hoping he can make it back for next Sunday, Austin Eckler. Um, you know, if Patrick Mahomes goes down, he's on my team. It's going to be rough. Really, truly, why aren't more media outlets uh, talking about the effects on your fantasy football team? The real, you know, tragedies. You're just not here. listening to the media outlets I'm listening to because <laughs> Bill Simmons has got a whole podcast on it. The Dan Levitard Show did a whole podcast on it. Um, all right, so it, is, from, it is wild, man. It's wild. It's it's definitely hitting the NFL pretty well, rough. Right well, now. in pro sports, they're like, eh, we actually need the games to be played, so they're going to do everything they possibly can. But they seem to be ignoring some of the it's the, new, the, it's the new competitive advantage, right? How much you can keep this virus from spreading in your team. I mean, the simplest thing goes back to we just should be testing all the time. We should. I mean, there's an argument that you know the Biden administration just should be sending people at home tests every week. You get to a person. And, and that, that might really take care of some of this problem as long as people take the test and then stay home if they test positive, right? Certainly other countries that have handled this a little bit better than us are doing that. I mean, it's an investment. It, it certainly costs money, but other countries are doing that pretty regularly. Yeah. Uh, Candace texts in, rough estimate for how long it will take pharma companies to study how this variant will respond to our current vaccines. Oh, yeah. Uh, Really good question. So I, it's being done already, not only by pharma companies, but also just, you know, academic scientists, virologists, immunologists have all been looking at this. And so that's where I'm getting my information where I'm saying, you know, that this third dose does seem to boost it up back. I think it was, you know, something like 33 times from where those neutralizing antibodies were dropped down um, by, by Omicron. But we boost them back up there uh, to a level that's, you know, about 70 to 85% uh, efficacy, you know, where we're looking at, you know, like 90, 95 before that. So those are pretty comparable numbers when it comes to vaccine efficacy. And though that sounds 
lower than our 95, 97% we heard. I mean, 75% uh, efficacy for a vaccine is still really good. That's still better than uh, most flu vaccines, seasonal flu vaccines. So uh, I think that third dose is, is really pretty key. You know, I got mine just a couple weeks ago, in fact, because of this. All right, Eric from Sparta is calling. Eric, you got a question for Chris? Yeah, I do. I uh, I got my first dose uh, exactly one year ago today at Moderna at the VAA. And a month later, on the 17th of February, I got my second one. And then October 28th, I got my booster shot, a half dose of Moderna. It wasn't eight months apart. Any concern I should have about that being uh, spaced out so far? No, no. I think that's I think that's actually really good uh, that you've you've gotten your third dose, and some sometimes it's actually when you're talking about these extra doses. If it weren't in the midst of a rampant pandemic where there's so much virus around right now, you would actually probably delay those those booster doses a little bit because it's actually kind of beneficial to give that booster after your you know your antibodies have kind of dropped down a bit you then kind of surprise your immune system by showing it again and they make even better antibodies that are more broad and can react to more variants and bind even tighter to those viruses to neutralize them and and stop them from infecting and so a, a, a actual larger delay is usually kind of good but that's a big trade-off during the midst of a pandemic when people are uh, when we're worried about people getting infected and really trying to make sure we're protecting them. So I think, you know, the three doses is, is key, and you, and you did that. So nice job, Eric. I mean, it would be we're, – we're kind of learning on the fly, right? So – and i got to take a break here. So actually, I'll just – I'll get to it in a minute, just the idea of a third – we call it a booster. We, we've talked about this before. Yeah. It's not really a booster. It's a third dose in a regiment. Pro- probably not going to be. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, um, all right. Brad's got to do the news. Before that, Scott's comment. We'll be back. 608-785-7914, talking text line. Chris Mayne in here. Dr. Chris Mayne, he's an immunologist. I always want to say viral, virologist. That's not a thing, though, is it? I can't even say oh, that. Virologist? virologist? Yeah, that's, that's definitely a thing, just not not what I am. Well, yeah. virologist, that's not a thing. <laughs> that's not a thing. No, but I want to know, was, was your singing along to that Christmas carol actually on the air? This yeah. All, I, okay, I need oh, everyone yeah. to know that I, that was not me. I turned the mic on. I'm sorry, everybody. Um, all right, so we we were having a conversation over the text line, you and I, earlier today, just kind of pre-gaming for this show. And uh, sometimes when we do that, it's better than the show itself. So I'm going to try to, and it never works to try to re, just try to do that over again. It's like when I when I write a story for the website, and then like Microsoft Word or something crashes, and you lose the whole thing. Then I go back and I'm like, okay, I got to try to rewrite the same story with all the creativeness. I do, and then it just never happens. But mm-hmm. we have this new variant, um, and you were talking like we, we're not sure if it's more contagious than Delta was apparently more contagious, and just as is the new variant more contagious but less deadly. I guess I, I don't. Deadly is a bad word. I think less like it gives you makes you less sick. <laughs> yeah. A- so this is yeah. This is you're getting at one of the really key things that people are looking into right now and are wondering. And so so first we talked about how Omicron, is it more transmissible even than Delta? There's lots of things that suggest maybe so, but also it's able to infect some group of people that Delta wasn't. So we have to parse those things out. But the other thing that people are wondering is that, well, it seems that hospitalizations aren't peaking quite um, as 
aren't mimicking, I guess, peaks in infections as much with Omicron as it was with Delta, does that mean that Delta is milder? And so some people are just saying Delta's milder, or I mean, excuse me, Omicron's milder, Omicron's milder, uh, you know, no need to worry about it. I think that is way, way too early in the game to think that. I would love for it to be milder. I really hope it is. I, I think that I, I, I really hope it is. Are we to the point maybe where we our older population that was more vulnerable is, is more yeah. protected, and yeah. therefore you and I, younger people, are getting more infected, but we're able to fight it off a little bit yeah, better? So, so you're already you're already getting at why I <laughs> why the data showing that you know maybe Omicron isn't having as severe effects right now in South Africa is a little bit. Um, it's not statistically something we can draw a lot of conclusions from because for one, the average age of this population that was infected there is 29, right? So very young and a huge percentage of them had been previously infected. And so we would expect that there's some sort of protection against a, as bad of a case the second time around. Right. And so between those various uh, sort of complicating variables, I don't think we can say that Omicron is, is inherently milder. All right, we're going to go yet. back back to the phones. Chris's favorite caller here, I think. Uh, is this Joe? Yeah. Hey, Joe, go So ahead. when you call the hospital and talk to uh, a nurse and ask if you can get tested for Omicron or Delta, there is no test that tells you uh, the variant that they get. So how do you know that you're not getting the flu? Or did the flu go away because because the plan, the pandemic uh, was done to the to the world? for uh, a virus thanks joe yeah i think you mispronounced uh, the word pandemic there but and uh, omicron but so so th- you actually do make a really good point so the typical tests we do can't actually distinguish delta and omicron but there are ways to right so you just have to have a specific actual sequencing lab that sequences those things and so it, admittedly, in the U.S., we're not as good at this as other countries. But, you know, even in lacrosse, there is a lab that does sequencing of these variants and can distinguish them. But you're right. If you go to get tested for it, you're not going to know right off the bat. There has to be extra tests on the side to do that. But we do know that it's not flu. Flu is an entirely different, whole, completely different virus, not even remotely related. And, like, the tests that look for these coronaviruses specifically use specific parts of their RNA sequence to look for it in their genome. Those sequences don't exist in flu. I promise you there's no way you could ever test and think something's flu that is actually coronavirus or test something and think it's coronavirus or just flu if you're doing these PCR tests. They're completely very specific. And that's actually why you can't distinguish Delta and and Omicron from each other is because the parts of them that you're looking for are either identical or missing in Omicron and some other uh, uh, areas where they test for these things. And so this is one of the challenges. So the National Guard testing site, it's open for 18 more minutes yet downtown here at uh, the Health and Human Services building. They just they stick a thing up in your nose. It's not as bad as it used to be. Right, yeah. And, and they take a swab, and then, you know, two days later, they're going to tell me whether or not I have COVID. Are they taking that sample then somewhere else to study it further? Or is that where the end? Probably right. not. Probably not always. Uh, probably not often, in fact. Probably not uh but when they're trying to determine if these variants exist, they'll take some subset of them. I don't know if that's only hospital-acquired tests. I actually don't know what the, the sort of workflow is of which samples go on for this additional uh, actual sequencing that has to be done to identify the variant. I'm not sure of that. All right. Um, we're speaking with Dr. Chris Mann, U- uh, U- Viterbo 
immunologist, these biology professor there. Uh, what else do we got, Chris? Some of the some of the things that you you had brought up is um, well, one of the things related to whether or not uh, Omicron is is more severe is one of the things you'll see, particularly among bad actors online, is they'll try to claim that well, of course it's less severe because viruses inherently get milder, and that sort of is a is a bit of well, I shouldn't say it's a bit. It, it is not true remotely. Uh, but it tries to take advantage of people being like, well, a virus wouldn't want to kill its host because then it wouldn't be able to live anymore. And Well, really, a virus doesn't care at all if it kills you. If it can spread faster by replicating extremely fast in your body, and as long as you pass that on to someone else and it does that well, it does not care at all if it kills you, right? So the idea of viruses inherently getting milder over time there's there's no reason to believe that that happens, right? We have had polio and measles and smallpox, HIV, right? All of these things over time did not get milder. And even if it was going to happen, that sort of thing would happen, take centuries. It wouldn't just naturally occur within a couple of years and we'd be good. Now, I say all that, but I really do hope that these mutations that Omicron collected to try to escape the immune system does make it milder as well, that that was the trade-off it made. But I don't know. You know, We just don't know enough yet. All right, Ryan says, uh, stick to biology, Chris, because vir- viral virology is not your strong suit. It's immunology is your strong suit, right? It's right. not biology. Well, also, also uh, virology is, is biology. Yeah, I can't, <laughs> I can't say the word clearly. I've never had, actually had to say it. Um, he also texts in, what? Question mark and exclamation point. Not all caps, though, so it's more like a what? Uh, and he says, it can't be proven that it's statistically milder. Have you studied any other viruses on the history of vi- uh, have you have you studied oh, any other virus on the history of viruses yeah. as they mutate they become oh. weaker with literally 99% of all viruses this is this is a perfect example literally, look at that i actually predicted that someone yeah. would come in with that take right i should have uh, read it, it before yeah, we it's, it's not true uh, it it takes advantage of someone who can kind of uh, understand evolution but has an actual a little the strongest conception about one aspect of natural selection and evolution, which is that there's directionality towards it. There isn't, right? The virus does not care remotely about us, and there's no selection going on as to whether or not we die. The only thing that it cares about is that it propagates faster and further, and that gives it a selective advantage. Now, sometimes, you know, if it can replicate really fast but not kill its host, that would be fine because there's lots of it around and the host stays around spreading it more. But also if it, if what it takes when it gets those mutations that allow it to spread a lot faster, if that makes the host way sicker and die, it doesn't care as long as it gets passed on. Right. Cause that'll be selected for. So it is a common misconception. It, it, it really is. And so I, that's why I predicted someone would, would bring it up. All so right. That's out there. <laughs> We're talking to Chris Maine. Uh, vi- virology, <laughs> no, immunologist, immunologist, not a virus. biology professor. He's an immunologist. Uh, we got a call here. I believe this is Greg. Yes. Hey, Greg, go ahead. You got a question for Chris? Yeah, I got a question. Um, getting off our my first part here is just to set the basis for what I'm trying to ask. Um, when we have a bacterial infection, they give us antibiotics. And they say, make sure you take them all, otherwise you might not fully kill it, and then it may be more resistant to the antibiotics. 
Um, does that happen in, with viruses? Yeah, so that's that's a great that's a great question. It definitely touches at some things people are concerned about uh, in general, you know, because we understand this idea of antibiotic resistance, right? Can viruses uh, be selected to do that similarly? So it depends on like like for like for medicines like antivirals, there are, is antiviral resistance that can can uh, evolve. But the reason that doesn't happen with vaccines, because sometimes people who maybe uh, don't always have the best in- intentions might try to convince someone if they don't want them to get the vaccine. Well, you're going to just select for a virus that's more resistant to vaccines. Well, it turns out that the, the sort of pressures for that aren't the same because with that uh, bacterial infection, you're already infected, right? And that bacteria is already inside of you and it's replicating and growing. And then you're giving it this medicine that it can, if you don't kill it off completely, it can select for those few that can escape it. Well, in a vaccine, right, you're already priming yourself to not get infected in the first place. So if you're not getting infected at high rates, if you don't have viruses existing in you long enough to even get those mutations, right, then they're not going to gain those additional sort of superpowers of evading it. So when this, the only, uh, so the fact that the vaccine is keeping this virus from existing very long in your body actually prevents that sort of uh, selection that happens with antibiotic resistance from occurring. Yeah, that's a great question. Okay. The reason I was asking is because my family, well, my brother died December 1st from COVID. I'm so sorry. Um, he tried to get the monoclonal antibodies. They said he wasn't high enough risk, and, well, that was the outcome. Oh, Greg. Anyhow, so unrelated, I mean, because I hadn't seen my brother in a while, I got it, and my wife and son got it. I, I was fully vaccinated. My wife and son weren't. They had very mild cases. I was close to being hospitalized. Oh. Um, and that's why I was wondering, because I was fully vaccinated, I mean, I was waiting for my time period to catch up so I could get my bone, uh, my booster shot because yeah. I hadn't uh, reached that time period yet. And I got it. And I mean, you know, my oxygen level was down to 80%, you know, terrible body aches and uh, the whole, the whole gamut of, of symptoms where they just had a mild cough. And I'm wondering because I had this breakthrough case, you know, is that then creating a stronger virus? No, no, it, it, it won't be, you know, why some people get worse cases than others. It's really hard to predict sometimes, you know, I, men seem to often have more severe cases. Older uh, leads to more severe cases. Both those would fit you as compared to, you know, your, your wife and, and your kid. But, you know, also it's not always that predictable. But one thing that you don't have to worry about is that now you have a virus in you that's selected to be resistant to this this vaccine chances are more what happened is you just didn't have as high of a good response to that vaccine as other people did and so your immune system wasn't quite as tough at fighting that off when it came into you but i'm glad you got rid of it and i'm I'm glad you made it through the other side and and now you're probably pretty pretty well protected for the next time hopefully because both that vaccine plus infection would have both primed your immune system so at this this point should he get the third boost the third shot as well? They would they would definitely recommend it. Or but should I he wait? I think maybe. they would. Sometimes there's a timing so long after your last, after your case before you can get it. But his his doctor would know for sure. So yeah. I would I definitely would recommend talking to the doc. All right.
Yeah, that's always a good smart. <laughs> All right, go back to the phones. Caller, who's this? Hello. 68. Hey, go ahead. You're on with Chris. You got a question? Uh, yes, I do. Um, when you say they recommend it, I was curious, is that like Big Pharma? Or why don't they just use more like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin that obviously proves the point that it works and keep it out of Big Pharma and keep it out of money situations? Why don't they give something that works within 24 to 36 hours, as the cases have obviously revealed themselves? So when I say they recommend, I mean medical professionals, scientists, uh, CDC. I don't mean big money ph- I don't mean big pharma. No, I mean, uh, I mean, ivermectin and... If you follow I, the science, they follow the money. All right, so... I, yeah, like I said, I, I, you're not going to find me defending... Uh, big pharma on here as far as its morality when well, who, it comes to things, right? Well, somebody but, makes ivermectin, and I was somebody just going makes to say, yeah. I mean, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin are are you know sold, right? Uh, they are very good drugs for some things. Ivermectin is is an amazing antiparasitic. It's you know been revolutionary in areas where people get infected with parasitic worms. Hydroxychloroquine is an extremely important drug for people with lupus. But the fact of the matter is. When you look at the grand collection of all the studies that have been done on these drugs, they just don't appear to work that well. And so if you go to certain websites, they'll cherry pick a few poorly done studies to show, hey, look how good it works, uh, often in a dish, not in patients, and then promote it. And then oftentimes it's only a couple of clicks before you can buy ivermectin or before you can buy hydroxychloroquine. And this isn't against cheap drugs that dexamethasone is an extremely cheap drug probably most people have never heard of because you hear of hydroxychloroquine and you hear of ivermectin but you don't hear about dexamethasone which is literally used in the hospital as a treatment and it's dirt cheap as well but the fact of the matter is is that the actual evidence and the studies have shown that one does work so you probably don't hear about it because it's just not it's i guess it's not anti uh, yeah, I guess it's that, and there, controversial. And there are treatments for when you're diagnosed with COVID early on, you can go, you know, I, I, mono, I can't remember the phrase. Okay. Monoclonal antibodies. Yeah, yeah. so there, it's not like there, this doesn't exist. There are things. It's just. Sure. Yeah, like, yeah. There's, there's, just, there's antivirals, there's monoclonal antibodies, and there's anti-inflammatories, which is essentially what dexamethasone is. And so there are, are cheap drugs that are off patent that are, are used. So it's not just that we're trying to avoid these off patent drugs. Uh on a, as a whole, that, like I said, there are ones that are, just have better evidence that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin as a whole, the, the studies don't show they work that well. In a dish, in cells, they can kind of work at doses that could never be given to a human without, without hurting them. All right, we got to take one more break. We'll wrap up a couple more texts to get to uh, when we come back. All right, welcome back to Cross Talk PM. A couple minutes left here. We're going to wrap up Chris May, Dr. Chris May, the Viterbo Biology Professor, Immunologist. Uh, a couple of texts here. We're talking about COVID, if you haven't been listening. Uh, and you can come back and listen to the, the show at uh, wisdomnews.com slash podcast, Crosstalk PM. Um, somebody, somebody texted in Moderna, a headline here, Moderna initial booster data shows good results on Omicron. And they, they just asked, is it, too, is it too soon? Is it too soon? To, can they make this statement this early? So that, yeah, that's kind of information that they came out with just, you know, today, yesterday. But, you know, this is is based upon, you know, neutralizing antibodies. So what they're doing is they're looking at people who have gotten their third dose, right? They're taking their blood and then they're seeing, hey, how does this work on live Omicron virus in a dish? 
if you now add, like you say, I got my third Moderna, I would be a good example. You took my blood, you took the antibodies out of it, gave it to this live virus. Would that live virus then still be able to infect cells? And so you can actually do these studies in a dish like this pretty fast. And so they had them for Pfizer uh, a few days ago, um, and then now uh, Moderna as well. And so this is where I'm, when I say, you know, that third dose really seems to be important because it seems to uh, broaden the responses of our antibodies enough to stop Omicron. This is what I'm referring to, or these exact studies that this, this friend of ours here uh, shares with us. Um, all right. So the, just lastly, just on vaccinations, uh, the, the, state, the, the State Department of Health put this out last week. Uh, people diagnosed with COVID are five times unvaccinated versus vaccinated. Let me see if I got hospitalized with COVID. If you're unvaccinated, you're 11 times higher to go to the hospital. 11 times if you're unvaccinated. You're 12 times higher to die from COVID-19 if you're unvaccinated. And you're five times higher to just get diagnosed if you're unvaccinated. 